Hey guys, welcome to Catholic in America. Today we'll be talking about whether the church should excommunicate pro-abortion politicians. And some of the points we'll be looking at is recent controversies with President Biden receiving communion, uh, the moves made by the Bishop's Conference, and how it's been reported in the news. So if you're looking for a controversial show, you found the right place. Welcome to Catholic in America. Today we're talking about whether the church should excommunicate pro-abortion politicians. I'm Father Michael Nixon. I'm joined as always by Father Doug Martin and by Father Tom Dillon. Please like, share, and subscribe. All right, guys. So this has been a controversial topic here in the United States in particular. We are Catholic in America, so we're looking um, at the church here in the United States. So what are some of the controversies that have come up with denying communion to uh, pro-abortion politicians with uh, actual excommunication. What are some of the things that have come up and that have been really passionately uh, dis been discussed recently? Well, I think the, the question of whether the church should judge in that way, whether the, the church or the bishops or priests have the right or the ability to, to tell someone whether they should receive communion or not. I've been hearing that quite a bit and seeing it in, in different Twitter posts and stuff that you know, you don't have the right to do this. You don't have the right to withhold communion from someone just over whatever. And also on the opposite perspective, you have those who are saying that not only does the church have the right to do this, but they actually has the, uh, has the obligation mm. to, yeah. for people who are not standing up for the Catholic faith, people who are being wishy-washy or people who are outright denying um, certain tenets of moral theology or of the ethics um, specifically in regards to abortion, that these people should not be, the church needs to come out and definitively for clarity's sake and for the, uh, for just for the, the sake of the flock, that people are being yeah. led astray yeah. by these bad, bad Catholic examples. And then questions too about, well, what raises it to that level? What, well, I mean, you know, what sin do you have to commit where you are, you know, effectively excommunicated and, and aren't, politicians from the other side committing these same sort of things, and why aren't we talking about them? Why are we only talking about Biden or Pelosi or whoever it is on the Democratic side? Right, so abortion being, being a major part of this. Two, I think one of the objections that is raised, and again, important why we're talking about it today, this isn't a five-minute program. We're going we're gonna to dive into all the layers of this. So wherever you stand within this topic, I, hopefully you do stay for the whole conversation and, and continue this with us, that uh, people saying as soon as the bishops make a stand in, in, in this area, say to, to formally excommunicate a politician for his or her stance, then they're making a political statement. They're basically siding with a certain political party. So um, the other side of that too is, is, is the fear, and this, is, this has been brought up as a fear, anxiety, maybe an accusation even, that uh, to deny someone the Eucharist because of their public policy stance in favor of a grave moral evil like abortion, then you are thereby weaponizing the Eucharist. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, and so. also like, what about words, especially as Americans, I think that all of us as Americans are very sensitive to the question of the separation between church and state. It's like, where does the church, where's the authority of the church? Where's the authority of the state? And are we unnecessarily or actually unhealthily blending these two? So like if the church comes in and says you can't receive communion because of your uh, political party, like, is that the church interfering with politics and the church really needs to stay out of the political sphere? Look what happened during the Renaissance. Look what happened during the Middle Ages when the church got involved in politics. Like, we don't need to return to that. So, like, let's keep these two things. And so, like, 
within that, there's like this, this understanding of kind of this separation between my political, external, uh, secular life versus my private, individual, religious convictions and my religious life. And I need to keep my religious convictions out of my secular job if, I'm, if of, I'm a politician. And that's kind of a natural thing too, since the United States, we have this idea of separation of church and state that, you know, one's personal beliefs, one's religious beliefs really didn't, aren't supposed to affect the public, isn't really supposed to affect, you know, um, what's going on in politics itself. And, so, and, and, you know, it's supposed to be the other way around, but there's this blending of that line. And so this seems to be one of those lines where people want it to be very clear. But again, you know, trying to make that separation can be you know, a little bit problematic. Well, obviously, it's, this is coming to the fore in particular, why we're having this conversation now as opposed to how 10 years ago, is a, a self-professed Catholic who is, by all observable markers, is practicing his Catholic faith is now the president. Um, president Joe Biden has identified as a Catholic very proudly within that um, throughout his entire, uh, he's, I think he's been in public, you know, public yeah. yes. office for 50 years or something yeah. like that. S second president and, of the United States who's Catholic. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. who's a professing Catholic. I think we always have, have yeah. So, and then who was presenting himself for communion while simultaneously advocating and promoting and legislating actively for abortion, not just kind of passively saying, well, this is the law of the land, right. but pushing for, for further- um, uh, Putting his name on bills. Putting his name on bills, right. absolutely. So, so that, in a sense, kind of pushes the church into the limelight where now people are asking the Catholic Church, are you for this or against this? Does it, is this what it means to be a Catholic that you can be in favor of, of a, uh, a po when you say a positive evil as in like an action that's taken that in and of itself is evil? Um, like abortion or supporting that, which I think raises a lot of questions because B Biden has been in, in public office for a long time. So some some of the objections to taking a stand now is no one really took a stand 20 years ago when he was right. a, whatever he was, a, a senator or senator, congressman yeah, or, yeah. or vice president eventually. Yep. No one took it, seemed to take any clear stance then. So why are we doing it now? Um, almost, was, you know, kind of like the lesson's already been learned that the church doesn't seem to be too concerned about this in, in, in this particular Base. Right, and I think that's the question too for for some people is is okay if this is that I mean what's the church going to do about it and and if they do something about it what does that mean for me and my own personal life what does it mean again for my favorite politician how will it affect the way that another politician again on the other side maybe they're against something that is in the same boat how do you how do you categorize that how do you and and is it personal is it just to President Biden or just to Maybe um, yeah, are we, are, are we pick, yeah are we are we picking and choosing yeah and are we being preferential like, are we playing more to one side or the other so especially when looking at like the moral teachings of the church like um, and that's where the political parties don't really line up with the real Catholic teachings of the church there's no Catholic party right because like when you look at like the abortion issue like the Republican Party is very staunchly anti-abortion which isn't keeping with our Catholic values but on the other hand. Not every position within the Republican Party is in keeping with our moral teachings. And so that's where you look at things like the death penalty, or you look at immigration, you look at various different other political issues, which are also moral issues. And then people are saying, well, if you're going to excommunicate me for abortion, like, why are you yeah. not excommunicating this right. person over here for their stance yeah. on the death penalty? So, like, there's this idea that God doesn't play preferences. Why is the church playing preferences in regards to its moral teachings? And we're we're going to get into a little bit some of the nuances of that as well and the differences between um, uh, various issues uh, within just the, the, the understanding of the church, our understanding of things under, under canon law too. So maybe looking at um, in particular, 
how it seems to only correspond with our own preferred political stances when I want the church to make to, to, to take a stand again. How, how have you guys seen this when people brought something up, the church needs to do this in the political realm, that, that it's not usually against what I believe politically, it's in favor of it. So, but if, if, if I'm against it, then I don't want the bishops to say anything. They should keep their, you know, the, the church should mind their own business. How have you guys seen that just in ministry or in conversations with people? Right, I mean, I, you know, actually, I don't know that people really recognize that that's, what's, that that's what they're doing. I mean, I think some people might. But a lot of the comments that I hear are, are for the teaching of the church, more so than, you know, necessarily for my political party. But... I pick my political party based on that decision and based on what I want the church to do. And so the, the question becomes, why is the church doing something about this? I mean, because the state's not. And so now, why is it the church doing something about this when it's an obvious thing, or it seems to be an obvious thing to the church? And, and you know, letting that be the, the, the force of it rather than it happens to support my own, my own political party as well that I support. Very convenient that way, right? It yeah. is very convenient that way. I want mom yeah. and dad to be really enforce the rules right. when it benefits me. But exactly. when, it, yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know what the rules are. Mom and dad, I want you to use this rule, but not that one. Yeah, and, and or we're not going to mention that. We're only going to talk about this one. Yeah. It gets into as well, particularly that phrase "weaponization of the Eucharist," which I think is. Again, we can get into whether or not it should be used. For those that aren't familiar with that, some bishops or theologians or people have said they don't want to weaponize the Eucharist, as in use it to punish people or as a cudgel against people that you're not worthy, you're not worthy, and you're not worthy. Well, and so, yeah, yeah. That was, there was an open letter sent by the, uh, I believe it was 60 different representatives and congressmen from the uh, United States government, which sent it to the open uh, conference at the USCPCP, where they were coming, going around, oh, like, what are we going to do in terms of that? And that's where they, that was the language which they specifically use, I believe. Yeah, so um, against weapons, which to me brings up receiving communion during Mass. We could say, in just, in just a few minutes, we'll say some words about that, about our sure. own personal worthiness or unworthiness, hint, it's unworthiness, right. to receive Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. Um, but that as, as, is this the place to have these sort of conversations? Is this the place to, uh, to maybe make, take a stand for the church against politicians who do things that, that we find morally abhorrent? Is, is communion the correct um, uh, kind of place to you know, draw the line in the sand there for the church? And I'm, I'm not sure, but I do think it is, it's, it's, it's worth at least exploring seriously because it is such a public it's profoundly personal. The Eucharist for us as Catholics is the source and the summit of our faith. We believe it is the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus. Right. That when you receive the Eucharist, you're saying that I'm in communion with the teachings of the church. There's a lot <laughs> yes. of things that you're saying, right. as well as I believe that this is actually Jesus. Not that I'm part of the club, it's, it's not right. that. Um, so, so, so that language of weaponization of the Eucharist, is that fair or is that something that, that, that helps us in this conversation or does it hurt? Well, I think it's I think it's a mischaracterization, but I do think it's fair at times. I do think that that's the way that some people and maybe even some of our bishops want to use the Eucharist in this way. At least, if they're not wanting to use it that way, that's somewhat of the language of it that that we're excluding in the way that they're that they're going about it, rather than seeing it as benefiting the person themselves not receiving this because we talk about when you receive communion unworthily, you receive damnation on yourself. That's you Saint receive Paul bad says things. That. Yeah. 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 You see bad things on yourself. And so um it, it, you know, I think a lot of it depends on how you're doing this. What's the purpose behind 
you know, excommunicating or what's the purpose behind denying someone, you know, the Eucharist and communion? If it's to weaponize it, if it's to punish them, this is the wrong thing altogether. Well, I, I, uh, I think a little more clarity there because the, from the Catholic Church, from our perspective on punishment, like punishment is meant to be not something which is <clears throat> hostile. Punishment itself is meant to be something which is retributive, but it's also meant to be something which is restorative. And so like when you punish, like, so for instance, like when parents punish their children, they're not meant to just be beating them. Like there's meant to be something which is that there's a retributive value value to punishment, but then there's also a rehabilitative. Like it's not just I punish you, but I'm also teaching you at the same time and bringing you back into communion with the family that you're a parent who's dealing with a rambunctious or a disobedient child. It's like your actions have consequences. They've severed something in the family that have caught a problem, now you are going to have to experience this. Mm-hmm. Sure. But it's also a teaching moment. And that's sure. where, like, especially the bishops of the United States are looking at, okay, if we're going to use excommunication, because they do have the authority, Absolutely. most certainly throughout the history of the church, we've excommunicated tons of people, not just for theological heresy. Tons of politicians. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tons not of just, politicians. yeah sometimes it's for theological heresy, but like the president of Argentina, um, back in the 50s, got excommunicated by the local church. And Rome was... Perfectly fine with that because he got excommunicated because he was pushing divorce and the legalization of divorce as well as other things. And so like the church came in and said, your, your uh, policies that you're promoting are not in keeping with your Catholic faith. And he got excommunicated. So the church, and that was recent, that was 1950s, the church yeah. has the authority to do that. The question is, is it prudent right now? And then the, from the bishop's perspective, like we're not just gonna punish you, we wanna make sure that we are also restoring you. Like how am I using this as a way of bringing you back into the family? And am I leaving you avenues open for reunification or am I closing it out? You're good, you're now, you're kicked out. Yeah, it goes into the purpose I was talking about, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. so we're gonna take, we're gonna take a quick break to hear, hear a message from our sponsors. When we get back, we're gonna talk a little bit about worthiness to receive communion and this idea of excommunication within the history of the church and how it can be applied today, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Catholic in America. Like, share, and subscribe. So guys, we've been talking um, about this, this kind of this, this public uh, debate that's been happening here in the United States, especially when it, when it comes to politicians receiving communion, whether politicians uh, should be excommunicated formally because of their actions, their support of things like uh, uh, intrinsic evils like abortion. And uh, I, think, I think it's always important for us to, and we're, we're talking about why, why is this so important? Why is this, this, this so contentious? It's because of how sacred the Eucharist is. When we talk about receiving the Eucharist, we said a little bit about this before the break, that this is the actual body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. This is really Jesus. This isn't a symbol. This isn't no, a no. token. Um, and so what St. Paul tells us is that we need to discern the body of the Lord. We need to know that this is Jesus' body, and we need to discern our own sinfulness. If we receive unworthily, then we're eating and drinking our own condemnation. So we're always, I think, every single one of us saying, every single Catholic, if you've not been to confession, if you've not repented of your sins, do so before you receive the Eucharist. Any person, no matter how bad the sins have been, if you repent of your sins, if you, if you turn towards the Lord and, and, and go to confession, you can and should approach approach the Eucharist, even though we're still unworthy ultimately, uh, but because the Lord loves us in, in, in the midst of that. But there's also that notion, like as Catholics, when we receive the Eucharist, when you place your hands up as the throne of God, right, and God is now coming down to touch you, you also say those words, amen. Mm. And that amen doesn't just mean amen, like this is my response, like <laughs> you, you said this, now I say amen means, and going back to a couple months ago, I, I brought someone into the Catholic faith, 
someone from a different uh, different uh, faith denomination, they wanted to become Catholic. And that, they stated in that moment, and this is what we also are stating every time we say amen, I believe and profess all that the Catholic Church reveals to be reveals by God to be true. Yes. And that includes like morality, includes the sacraments, or, or the dogmas about Jesus and the identity of the Trinity, the Marian. Like this is like I believe and profess and I'm living out as best as I can which obviously we all fail, and that's where we get into the unworthiness. Like, all of us fail. That's why when we come to Mass, like the very first part of Mass is the penitential rite, which forgives us of all of our minor sins, our venial sins. But like, there's also the notion that, does that, is that amen mean something? Or is it just a nice word that mm, I say? Does it yes. actually mean I believe? Yes. Or is it just like the, the ritual? And not just I believe in the Eucharist, right. which is obviously fundamental, but it's also, as you said, the whole, the whole thing that, that you, you don't get the meal without the family, right? You know, and, 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 and a lot of people want to say, well, I like this part of it. I like, I like the traditions of the Catholic church. Or I like the, you know, uh, again, some, as some of these politicians our president included have said, you know, I like all these things about being Catholic, the work on behalf of the poor and the nuns that have worked so hard teaching in schools and, and this great tradition. Um, but you can't have that without the other side, uh, the other side. And if you're saying amen, you have to be, in order to be truthful, to not eat and drink our own condemnation, as St. Paul says, whether that's a politician or any one of us, we have to say amen to the whole thing. Now, am I unworthy? Yes. Do I fall short? Absolutely. But I'm, by the grace of God, being forgiven and turning back towards uh, the fullness of truth that he's revealed in his church. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's, I think that is the confusion that happens is, is people say, well, we're, we're, you're still not worthy. And you're like, no, that's, that's not the point of it. That's, that's not what you're, you're under, you're misunderstanding that. You're made worthy by this. But that doesn't mean that when you approach it, you can approach it in a, in a, in a state of sin, in a state of mortal sin, in a state of venial sin, that we're supposed to be, you know, forgiven of those things as we come forward. And, and repenting means we've got to say we're wrong about something. Well, it means we've got to say that we've done something wrong, we've held something wrong, we've believed something wrong, taught something, went after something that we shouldn't have done. And, and without that repentance, no matter what it is, as you stated, I mean, very serious or not, we, we all, when we approach, need to approach it worthily. I mean, that means in an appropriate manner. Well, that, and that's why, like, this is not anything new, like, but maybe it's not being taught <laughs> as, as expansively as it was in the past, but like when it says, like, am I worthy to receive communion? Like our, our very clear sacramental theology is that the way in which we know if we're worthy is we do an examine of conscience prior to receiving communion, and we say, am I guilty of grave sin, of serious sin, which could be mortal? Like, because the, the qualities, as Pope Francis said in his first encyclical, is like there's three qualities, reiterating what's already in the catechism, there's three qualities to a mortal sin, is that it's a grave and serious matter, grave sin, it is done with full knowledge, and that it's done with full freedom, okay? But to receive communion, like, to, am I worthy right now? Like, I'm, we're human beings. No one is, no one is worthy to receive right. Jesus. Right. That's why people are like, well, I have to receive Jesus on my tongue or my hands. I'm like, well, your tongue is probably dirtier than your mouth. Right. Right. I mean, right. you're, right. than your hands. Yeah, yeah. You're still like, you're not yeah. all the things you know, I've said to yeah, you. Yeah, like, no yeah. one is worthy. Yeah. But the question is, yeah. like, in this moment, yeah. have I done what I can right. to place myself into a situation, which is I have avoided grave and serious sin. And that's why we have- Which a, is a pretty low bar that the Lord sets yeah, for really us. Yeah, you know, very like, low bar. He wants us to receive communion. Yeah. I think that's, the, the Lord Jesus- gave us his body and blood so that every person can come into full communion with him. That that, that is, everybody's invited to the feast. And I think some people have used that reality to say like, so therefore no one should be challenged in their reception of the Eucharist, or should, right. you know, which, is, well, which is a whole other thing. But instead to say, yes, Lord wants us all. And he sets the bar pretty low, 
are you aware of grave sin or or and which includes as we'll say scandal and and pu- yeah. more public sins and yeah. other things well, too and, and you know maybe some of it's our own doing because you know in the past there was at times where the laity were not encouraged to come and be a part of the communion because of some sin they may have committed or because of some sort of penance that they may have received. And so there, there may be a little bit of that in, in some people's thinking, but we're far enough away from that now that it really shouldn't enter our mindset at this point anymore. And so the, the idea that, that the church or that Jesus doesn't want you to receive communion it is, I mean, nothing can be further from the truth, and that's exactly what we're inviting people into. But it's just like any gift that you receive. There's a certain way in which you receive it that's more appropriate than another. Mm. Yeah. I would say, too, from my experience, I've been a priest now for 11 years um, here in the United States, that there are those people who maybe are scrupulous, who think they're never worthy to receive the Eucharist. Right. Absolutely. But as a culture, and I think most people can see this within our, most people think they are entitled to the Eucharist. Yes. That this is something I'm owed by God. That this is something, because I grew up Catholic, because I happen to grow up in a Catholic family, that therefore I must have the Eucharist. And anyone to even question that has created a grave injustice against me. And so I think that's, that's a whole nother sort of place that we've shifted into, that that probably needs to be addressed as well. It's not just the reality of the Eucharist, but the reality of repentance. That if I've not repented of my sins, the church, as a good mother, tells us you should not receive communion right. because you're, you're, you're hurting yourself. And that's the whole thing. Like you have, that's why the beauty of our Catholic faith is that we differentiate between venial sin and grave sin. And so like we say that any Catholic who knows that they're guilty of grave sin, you have to go to confession. And if you are, know that. But also, this is where I think that, especially within this context of the conversation we're having today, on whether uh, politicians should be um, excommunicated, not given communi- not given communion, which what excommunication? That's that's the penalty of excommunication is that right. you are no longer in communion. You can no longer receive because you no longer really saying amen. But but the, a lot of people don't understand is like the church does differentiate between sins which are grave, serious, but also the church looks at certain sins and says that these things are especially heinous. And mm. the church has elevated certain sins to the level of what's called a crime. And it's yes. like when looking at a crime, so like there's certain sins, everyone sins, and many people sin in grave, grave ways. But the church looks and says, these things are so heinous that we are going to automatically give a, um, I always get the Latin wrong. Oh, like, I, uh, uh, late sententiae. Yes, yes. Late sententiae. I'm yes. going to butcher the Latin. Yeah. But regardless, <laughs> But they says, but just by ipso facto, yes, yeah, ipso facto, just yes. you've done this. We're not going to send you a bill, a bowl of decree. We're not going to send you a bowl in your right. mailbox that says you've been officially excommunicated. Certain things automatically bring you out of communion with the Catholic Church. You are by the act itself brought out of communion. That's where they, there's certain things that those are the crimes in the church. Yes, one of which yeah. is abortion. Right. Like absolutely. Even like even adultery. Like adultery. Like doesn't have an automatic excommunication, but there are certain things because there was a child involved. Right. And that's why Pope Francis recently actually elevated child abuse to an automatic excommunication. If you've done Sexual abuse of, yes. of, of minors is now, is now one of these. So I think that's really important too, because this starts to get into the difference between the sins that we all struggle with and repent of, and, and maybe I choose not to go to communion because I'm, I need to go to confession first, which is a good and healthy part of being a Catholic and a follower of Jesus at times discerning that. 
and what is done by politicians. So I want to make uh, just uh, we talked about Argentina a little bit a little bit closer to home uh, here in the United States. Something that came up because I think it, it really corresponds to the conversation that's happening now. In 1962, the Archbishop of New Orleans, who's Archbishop Rummel, um, before my time, but uh, he threatened with excommunication. So they were desegregating the schools, the Catholic schools in New Orleans in 1962. Several people, prominent citizens, um, believers, Catholics, were vehemently opposed to this for a, probably a whole host of reasons. But obviously we understand that the Archbishop, this is a very good thing that he's doing. He's helping to overcome all this, this dehumanization. The and, right and, and absolutely, the, 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 the right and good and just thing to do based on our belief in the dignity of the human person, racism as a sin, everything. So several lay Catholics who were, were in positions of authority in different school boards and other things were standing against the Archbishop. He threatened excommunication against any Catholic in his archdiocese, 1962, that would stand against him. He excommunicated three people, three people that were leaders in this movement, Catholics that were whatever the organizations they represented. And this move, so basically, if you want to talk about a weaponization of the faith, a weaponization yeah. of the Eucharist, of being excommunicated, yeah. this is exactly what, what he did yeah. for the sake of, of for the, the medical side of this, in a sense, for the good of, of, to say like, well, yeah, you Catholics can be against um, desegregation, you Catholics can be for it. Say like, no, this is inconsistent with our faith, and as a faith leader, I'm going to make this move for the hope that they convert. So what was interesting yeah. is the response. So and I just love this, the response, universal applause. New York Times, Time Magazine ran a huge spread on it. Newsweek, every single publication basically said that this was the like what a heroic bishop yeah. he was, right. the stand that he was taking. So it, it's very interesting to me. It goes back to what we said earlier: yeah. is the bishops can be political as long as it corresponds with what I think is the right thing to do. Including this was sent to Rome. They appealed to Rome, and and uh, the official you know word that came back was that. That he did the right thing. That this this it was is, upheld. This, it was upheld. Yeah. Um, his decision. Sure. And that yeah. was a, that was a case which was not a dogmatic issue. It wasn't a, theolo a, a, right. a theological. It was an ethical issue. Right. It was a prudential. It was a prudential. The right. Issue. The right decision. But, absolutely. But, but not. But not a dogmatic issue that was being. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what even raised the, what we were talking about earlier level of, of a crime. I mean, it was something a little bit lower than that. Right. So you would think with something that we consider a crime, something that's so high, so up there that mm -hmm. that. You know, uh, there does need to be a response. I mean, that that really is, I think, what people are crying out for and asking for. They're wanting us to make a response. They're wanting us to do something well, about it. Well, because when you look at also the level of, obviously, abortion in the United States, I mean, we're over 60 million yeah. abortions in the United States since the 1970s. And so, like, when looking at that, that's where, like, the, the church, I don't think people have always understood, like, what's going on or why, why it's happening. Like, Pope Francis a couple years ago, said to the whole world, we're going to allow priests across the whole world to forgive the sins of abortion. People like in the United States were like, well, what is he talking about? Like priests, my, pri like, my priest has been forgiven those sins of abortion for a long time. People don't realize like the canonical penalty for committing or being a part of an abortion right. or enabling yeah. an abortion, it entails an automatic excommunication. And so like in the United States, because of the widespread um, widespread use of abortion, the Vatican basically, um, back under John Paul II, said priests, bishops who want to give the authority to priests can give the authority to priests in the United States. But throughout the rest of to the world... To lift the excommunication. Yeah, because you used yeah. to have to go. And actually, throughout the rest of the world, if you were participating or if you had gone and got, and got an abortion, you had to go not to your local priest. Mm -hmm. The penalty was you had to go to your bishop. Your bishop had to forgive you. 
Right. And so that's that's where there was like a, a, a consequence. But people, have, I think that our senses, in especially in the United States, to like the gravity of abortion has been dulled because we're just like, okay, well, I had an abortion. I'm just going to go to my local priest and get forgiven. Versus like the rest of the world was just like, no, I had to go to my, I had to go to my bishop. Mm-hmm. And boy, the way you did that too wasn't like you just approached him and said, hey, I need to, you know, I need confession here for a minute. I mean, lots of times that was in writing. Lots of times it was yeah. official meetings, yeah. and, and it wasn't just one meeting; it was several to to and realize you, and you might have had a severe penance. Yeah, that's right. With that's it. right. So, so really, some of those because I think this is important, to, and then we'll, we'll talk about the state of politics um, uh, today, the church's response, what we can and can't do that these uh, late sententiae, uh, you know, things of, you know, it's certain things like if I were to do an act of physical violence against the Pope, then automatically excommunicated. That's why Napoleon, when, when, once he, once he, <laughs> he kidnapped the Pope, right? <laughs> he was automatically excommunicated. Sorry, desecration buddy. of the Eucharist. A desecration and, of the Eucharist. Well, um, there's, a, there's a few others, and, and, and obviously all these are social ills and, and things that affect the, the wider church as well, the, the, the wider worlds. When we talk about abortion, this isn't to single out women who have made that, that awful decision, who felt pressured into it, because it actually, the, the sentence goes against anyone who's participated in it. So, yeah. you know, again, enabled it, it yeah. enabled it, who paid for it, who was part of the medical staff. So all those people, not to, not to say you're excommunicated so there's no hope, so that they can turn from that. And that's what St. Paul says when they do an excommunication in Corinth. It's, right. it's so that their hearts may be turned, so they can turn away from their sin back towards the Lord. Yeah, that's the purpose. And that's the reason why when you use the language of weaponize, it makes it feel like it's something that's hurting you with no form of healing right. to it. So that's right. why the purpose does matter. The purpose is to call you back. Because a, sur- a surgeon's knife cuts. It does, and it you know, hurts. But it's, it's for the sake of healing. I think that's, we talk about the disciplinary practices of the church. They always have to be used in that way. And we're all, we're all falling short, but I think that doesn't keep us from needing to use them. And I think, particularly with the confusion in the world, in the church today, that, that it needs to be used. So let's talk a little bit about this in the context of, of the political uh, sort of, you know, strange world that we're in right now. Obviously, um, uh, President Biden um, has and let's let's be factual with this has promoted has has endorsed has uh, pushed for not only abortions in and of themselves but taxpayer funded abortions has overcome preventions uh, uh, conscience protections against abortion for people in healthcare or people in, in politics has helped pay for taken away restrictions of pain for abortions overseas really the most aggressively pro abortion and if we see abortion as the intentional taking of a defenseless human life as a crime against humanity, it really is, and in the church, yeah. so therefore has participated in what gives you a late sententiae excommunication. So then the question then becomes, for someone who is actively promoting that, not just maybe passively says, I don't agree with it, but it happens, but right. is promoting it actively, where does that leave them in their standing with the church? The teachings of the church are very clear, is that if I profess with my mouth and say that I believe with the Catholic Church and I say amen, Okay. On the other hand, my actions, and your intention doesn't really matter when it comes to your actions, which are in direct violation to what the church teaches and reveals to be true, which is that every human life has value. Abortion is a serious, not only a serious sin, but it's a crime. And I'm enabling this. The church says that you have a serious conflict, which places you out of communion with with the church. You should not receive communion because you are in a state of grave sin. The church is not saying you're going to hell. Because the church is not doesn't know your doesn't know your mind doesn't mm-hmm. know what you know doesn't know your your will well, your freedom in that and so you can get into arguments upon the mind and the will and things like that but the action the church says yeah. is a crime 
and you are not in a state where you should and you can worthily receive communion. You should not receive communion. That, that normally happens in a, private, in a private venue where the bishop will reveal to that person, you should not receive communion until you rectify this, until you come on board. Mm -hmm. um, now what people are, are claiming, what they want, is for the church to make this public. Like is that, right. is that gonna be a yeah. public thing where you're gonna get a bull and that there's gonna be some type of guideline which says any Catholic politician who supports this is no longer in a worthy state. And so has a Catholic politician, maybe this is, this is the, the question for us, maybe something um, we can get a canon lawyer on, on you know, yeah. to, to follow up with us on this. Has a Catholic politician who has actively promoted abortion, are they guilty of, of this as a crime and is this a late sententia excommunication? Yeah. It's a good question. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, but I thought you were gonna say yes, and I was like, <laughs> did I get him to say yes? <laughs> Not the canon lawyer here. So but in know, my understanding it my is my understanding it is. Yeah. I mean my understanding it, it absolutely is. Again, they, the difference between say if someone's like the mayor of a town is a Catholic politician and is pro-abortion, their policies aren't necessarily, and again, I'm not sure all, all the, the power that a mayor has, furthering abortion or anything like that. So do they are they are they in maybe a place of heresy where they need to con, con, you know re repent to that scandal. absolutely sure. scandal posture sure. yes um, but for someone whose whose actual actions and decision, decisions don't just don't just you know so reinforce what's already there they're actually furthering yeah. meaning lives are being taken directly because of this right that's signing means, into yeah. law all those sorts of things absolutely absolutely yeah I mean you, yeah it's not permi it's not permitting an evil no. to occur it's yeah. causing. It's, yeah. a, it's enabling, it's, if you use, going back to some of our former ones, yeah. you're the efficient cause. You right. have put this into motion, you have enabled this to happen, you're no longer a passive, you have contributed mm -hmm. and you are acting. So no, then that's, that's where there's a, in terms of causation, no, you, you're, you can't claim, oh, no, no, I personally, I'm opposed to it. No, you actually enable this to happen. So there's, there's a so, very deal. So with, so with that, is a Catholic politician who's done this, basically just like if there was a Catholic politician that was actively promoting the abuse of children, the sexual abuse of children, right. or uh, you know, uh, promoting apostasy, or promoting the desecration of the Eucharist, in a sense. Or beating up the Holy Father. Yeah, or saying, or attacking the, the Holy Father. Yeah. If there was yeah. a Catholic politician or person yeah. that was saying we should attack the Holy Father, then yes, then we would say that they have. have they have, uh, they have, should not receive communion. They should not receive communion yeah. by virtue of the actions they've already done. Now what the church does, and this is maybe where it gets difficult, people get frustrations for or against. I really see, see the bishops Pray for the bishops. Any any faithful yeah. Catholics out there who are watching today, who have you know, who haven't written your bishop a letter of grace and prayer. I'm praying for you. Lift them up. Send them any whatever it is. Do that because it's difficult to make decisions that affect a lot of people, particularly in these very tumultuous times that we're in. However, yeah. should should bishops then, um, you know, because this has already happened, late sententiae, they should not be presenting themselves right. for communion. There's several politicians, some that you mentioned earlier, that have basically written letters to the bishop saying, this is all the stuff I'm in favor of, all these things that the church is against, whether it's homosexual marriage, um, whether it's uh, you know, redefinition of gender, right. whether it's uh, uh, you know, uh, abortion, all these different things, and to say like, I dare you to not give me communion. Right. I dare you to, to dare deny me, which I don't know, uh, that, that to me is a, is a mind boggling sort of thing to think that this is, we've really, diverted from the intention of the Eucharist too, yeah. but what should the bishop's response be? I know none of us are bishops here, but we all Thank have God. pastoral care and responsibility. <laughs> right. And so and so and so what what can they do or what what should they do? And maybe that that situation in 1962 with Archbishop Rummel, maybe that 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 sets a pretty good precedent for us. Well I also think it's all really important, especially for those who are listening or watching, 
to rec to remember. Like people, people will say, well, what about what about this issue? What about this moral issue? What about this one? What we're what we're looking at is what the church and what reason shows us are crimes. These there's certain sins which are considered and which have been elevated by the church to the level of crime. And so that's where it's a little bit different than like, well, I disagree with the immigration policy and the church and this and or death penalty, death penalty yeah. or these different ones. These are things which the church has elevated to the level of crime. And so that's where like if you have a law, if you have a law which is not enforced, and that's where if you have also that there is a consequence to an action which is not enforced. And this is where I have heard a lot of people kind of get frustrated on this. If you don't enforce the law, you actually harm people's respect for the law. Because mm -hmm. if there's not a consequence to an action, then people stop actually having respect for the law in general, which leads to chaos. I think that we've seen a lot of that sure. in terms of like if you if, if the church promotes a law, promulgates a law, creates a law and says this is what the law is and this is what the consequence is, and then it fails to enforce the law. It's sort of like when dad in the house or mom in the house gave you a law when you're a kid and you're just like, <laughs> you're not gonna right. do anything about it. <laughs> right, right. And then, then you have chaos. And well, like yeah. you, it causes a diminishment of respect for the law yeah. as well as that it, like the law has consequences. Well, I, f I find it going back to the Rummel situation, Archbishop Rummel in 1962 in New Orleans, I seriously doubt after three people were excommunicated that there was rumblings in the 1980s of like, we should segregate the schools right. again. <laughs> you know, like, no, you know yeah. and obviously society yeah. had shifted, uh, praise God, a yeah. lot by that time. But because there had been a forceful response, hopefully done in low, I don't, I don't know anybody's heart involved in it, but still that the, the, uh, the integrity of what's being taught and what's being, what's being enforced, so to speak, I, th I think was definitely felt by everybody and is not felt now. And that's part of the frustrations for people um, who are maybe faithful churchgoers and are, are seeing a disconnect between the law and the application. Yeah, and, and, and you can kind of understand the frustration. I mean, as you're saying, I mean, when you have something that's there, when you have a law that's there and it's not being necessarily enforced. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I think some of the questions come with time and space as well. It depends on, you know, where which bishop it is and, and where this person is. And, and, you know, I mean, because you have politicians that live all over the country. I mean, yeah, they're in they're in Washington D.C. a lot of the time, but they're all over the country. Is how are how are they supposed to um, really enforce this? Oh yeah, and yeah. I, th I think that in mercy to the bishops, and I, like yeah. I, like I said, I, I guess before, like like I don't want to be a bishop because like that's a too it's late. A, it's a thing. Too late. <laughs> no, you're done. This, no, but I'm just this saying, really like, going on here. There's also like the, I do understand like that's the, how it happens. The concern, <laughs> the concern from both priests who are like dealing within the parish, and then the bishops who are dealing within their diocese is the danger of like, if, if the church comes out and excommunicates someone, it's going to be politicized and turned. Yes. Right. Like, and that's the whole thing. Like an excommunication doesn't have the same effect that people are hoping it's gonna have as yeah. it might've had in the 12th or 14th century. So, and especially in the modern media. Or in the very Catholic New Orleans well, 1962. Yeah. Right? Which in a sense yeah. had more exactly. of, of a semblance to um, the church had some some teeth back then, so the church saying something. Yeah, and especially with yeah. Something, yeah. the yeah. scandals yeah. in the church, which has caused people to kind of even question the moral authority of the church. Yeah. And those, so, like the the bishops of the United States are also a little bit concerned, I think, and I think this is a valid a valid point on their part, is like not wanting to have the media, especially, turn these things yeah. and turn them into big, huge mm -hmm. um, things that people. It's not going to actually help.
Like, because it's because it's happening somewhat. I mean, this isn't just. I mean, this isn't stuff that we're just reading in Catholic articles and stuff. I mean, just reading it in NPR, the Washington Post, the New York Times. I mean, I'm seeing all these things that that are that are being spoken of in in the you know in the secular culture as well about this very issue. And you would think, to a certain extent, you know. With with some of the secular culture and their their disdain for the Catholic Church, why they would even care whether mm-hmm. the Catholic Church did something like this or not? Why does it really even matter to them? But it, it does, and yeah. it, and it tells you about the witness of the Catholic Church itself. That, that in spite of ourselves, that's right. In spite <laughs> of ourselves, yeah. And and even to people who who hate us and and stand against those things that we believe, that it's still important to them how they're treated by the church. Mm-hmm. And, I, and yeah. I think that says something about the church's witness is still there, but but also it does put, like you said, the bishops and, and priests in a very difficult position because we have people in our parish that would ask us, what would you do if Biden came up and presented himself today? And I think that that, that is a good question, probably one f- for us to address. I think we've made clear to ourselves, to, to everyone here, that politician in favor of abortion should not be presenting themselves for communion. Right. However, there's a, a second step of should a parish priest, an extraordinary minister of communion, a yeah. whoever a deacon, it is, yeah. be if someone presents himself for communion and there's no discernible, um, you know, they're they're not saying like oh, I actually hate the Eucharist as they come forward, <laughs> or, or you know, or, or right. saying that I don't believe, um, you know, because obviously if someone comes up for communion and obviously is not Catholic, doesn't know what's going on, I might sure. ask them if they're, or, or are you Catholic? And they're like, right. no. And I'm, I'm like, well, I'll give you a special blessing then, right. and and uh, go back to your seat. Even if like the, the town's biggest sinner walked in, and I know they're a big sinner, like in, to, to take everybody off of politics, knows, yeah. everybody knows yeah. somebody yeah. who's you know sinned so grievously, and they came up for communion. I don't know if they went to Father Joe ten minutes ago for confession. Yep. You know who knows? In a sense, so that moment that I I would not deny someone communion in that time, and I think I think yeah. that's maybe some people's frustration is like that that at that moment the presumption. Is on the person that they have 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 said prepared themselves. They prepared themselves. Yeah, yeah. they're there worthily. That they're not there in error. I mean, because the whole idea of presenting yourself is, is to say I'm ready for this. Mm-hmm. And so if they present themselves as ready for this, and I don't have full enough knowledge to know that maybe they have it, then yeah, I mean, I I have to present them with the Eucharist. Now, could I also say if a certain president or yeah. senator or whoever was happened to be my congregation? Can I preach my homily, change up my homily that day, yeah. talk about the grave moral <laughs> evil and crime of abortion? Sure. And if you present yourself and present yourself unworthily for any one of us, um, then we eat and drink our own condemnation in the words of St. Paul. It's possible. It's yeah. possible. that, I, And yeah. I think maybe, maybe that needs to happen in order to counteract that because I do know the pain that that causes for people who are trying to do the right thing or trying yeah. to, to follow the difficult moral stances of the church and then they see the church in, in essence seem to do nothing for those politicians who right. publicly flaunt that. I, I would just, I would say that if anyone came to me for, for communion, like in that moment, it's not up to me. And actually my understanding is that as priests, we don't have the authority to deny a public official because of their public stance. That would have to come from the bishop. So like that's where people are frustrated and things like that. And for us to act outside of the approval of the bishop would for be us to take on an authority which we don't have. Right. Um, which might be frustrating even for the individual priests, but like we still have to be obedient to the church. We have to be obedient to the pastor that God has given to us, which is our bishop. And we have to also build trust. Like we also trust our bishops and trust because I do believe that the enemy is trying to sow seeds of doubt 
mm. especially in our clergy, as well as especially in our bishops. And I think that like the seeds of doubt, which come from the enemy is not a, is not a good fruit of the spirit. And that's where like, especially like, we're also, for the most part, like when looking like, I don't, like you said, we don't know who's gone to confession. We don't know who's done this. Like I assume the best of whoever comes up and says, amen. Yeah. And at that, at that point, like I don't, and so without, without a formal decree from the bishop or from the bishop of the United States, which is why I think that a lot of the politicians and uh, some of the politicians in uh, Washington were kind of freaking out because if there was a kind of a universal statement or a universal uh, standpoint where the bishops were going to adhere to this, like that might raise the bar Mm -hmm. in terms of that. But for the most part, like it's not up to a Eucharistic minister of Holy Communion. It's not really even up to the priests themselves to determine in the moment when they, that person comes forward and says amen to really deny communion. Yeah. Um, As a pastoral prerogative to pursue that person, to talk to them, to do everything that you possibly can, hopefully to avoid that. Because can that be scandals to other people? Yes, and, and, and I, I, th those things do, do need to be addressed as well. I would say this, so a lot of things came out of the bishops' conference. Maybe we can kind of wrap up, not that we're experts in the bishops' conference, but I was talking to a bishop recently who was there and was kind of taken aback by how much the public was focusing on this part of whether politicians should be denied communion right. when they were talking about a lot of other things, response to, to coronavirus, reopening parishes, the need for a Eucharistic revival, which came up, which I, th I thought is very, very cool from the U.S. bishops. Yeah. But obviously, if we're tokenizing the Eucharist to the point where it's basically just sort of a, a talisman of, of are you in or out in the Catholic Church, that we've lost sight of the power and the glory of what we have in the Holy Eucharist. So maybe that that can be um, just, just for ourselves to kind of end on this point, because again, yeah. we've, we've said a lot of these things. Um, the reality of the latest sentencia, uh, you know, thing that's happened. If you've supported abortion, that you've excommunicated yourself, you should not present yourself for communion. The difficulty and struggle pastorally of denying someone communion. The need for bishops to have clear stances there. But for us, when, when it comes to the Eucharist, really, maybe just being able to share a little bit about like our own, our own, uh, our own Eucharistic revival, like what the Eucharist means means for us. And since I'm springing this question on you guys here, I'll start just real quick. Let, let I remember the first time that I experienced the power of the Lord in the Eucharist. My family were converts. We became Catholic when I was young. We weren't Christians and uh, encountered the Lord and became Catholics. And I was during a time of Eucharistic adoration, which is when the Eucharist, the host consecrated at mass is placed in a fancy monstrance. And I experienced the Lord telling me how much he loved me from that place. I, I still experience, I still live in that love you know, 25 years later now of, of that moment. And the sense that I get to celebrate mass now as a priest is one of the great privileges and gifts of my life that I would die for this reality. Yeah. I would, mm -hmm. I would die for the yeah. Eucharist. So we're talking about the Eucharist and whether or not we should receive and, and particularly when it involves public scandal and other things too, to recognize that too. So that, that, that's part of my own sort of story and, and yeah. joy of, of what we celebrate. Yeah, and I mean, you know, for me too, I mean, the Eucharist has, has been everything. It's one of the reasons why I, I converted myself and became Catholic as well is because of the, the, what, what the Eucharist really means and, and the, the spiritual food that it is to us, the communion that it draws us to. And so for, for years, it's been very important to me and, and I'm the same way. I, I, I really do examine myself before I come. I really do take seriously that I need to go to confession before I come to this unworthily. And if I have a question about that, I do that. And you know, my own life, one of, one of the times that was really a powerful moment for me in Eucharistic adoration as well, it happened to be in Eucharistic adoration, uh, I was, I'd had a friend that had told me just before I went in that I really ought to have pursued this, this priesthood thing. I really need to think about it and pray about it. And so, you know, as I'm in there in, in Eucharistic adoration, I'm 
praying to God and, and I, you know, it wasn't a voice, but it was definitely something speaking back to me saying, you know, you quit. I didn't say no. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a very powerful moment for me that I really felt in there and knew that Jesus was was speaking to me at that moment. And it's really what propelled me to where I am now. I'm at, you know, eight years of, of you know, studying for this and preparing for this and getting ready for this and then finally happening um, was all because of that one moment I had in the, in you know, in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Mm. I've had many moments with the Eucharist, um, with God speaking to me through the Eucharist and Christ. Um, I think that one of my probably the early encounter I had, I remember being at a daily mass with my mom that dragged me to mass. I think I was probably like 12, 13 <clears throat> years old. And she dragged me to mass. I remember the priest holding up the Eucharist at the consecration. And being a 13 year old, like I was kind of doubting, like I was like questioning as most teenagers do. And I was looking up and I looked up at the Eucharist and I was like, does, does everyone, and I looked around and I was like, does everyone else believe that this is actually Jesus? And I remember thinking for a moment, like in that moment, which now I recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit, if that actually is Jesus, this changes everything. Mm. And I actually, for me, I've actually, and strangely, this might sound strange to some, but I didn't receive the Eucharist. And there was multiple times where God told me not to receive the Eucharist until I was ready. Mm. And it was like, Tommy, when you're ready, I'll be waiting here for you. Mm. But there was that moment of authenticity. I remember being in that moment, like I was like, I didn't even know if I wanted to receive the Eucharist because I didn't want to receive the Eucharist until I could say amen. Mm. And holding back, and there's also been times in like, where I recognize like God's spoken to me and he's like, you know what, don't receive the Eucharist because you're not ready. Like moments of serious sin. That was like, there, there can be like this fear of like rejection, which I think with a lot of people, there's this overwhelming fear of rejection that if I don't receive the Eucharist, I'm being rejected by the church or I'm being rejected by God, or I'm being rejected. Mm-hmm. But see, like yeah. for me, it's in those moments of authenticity of like recognizing I'm not right with God right now, but God also not, it wasn't a rejection when God told me not to receive a Eucharist. For me, it was in the moments where I was guilty of, of serious sin, where it was just like, Tommy, I still love you, but I also want you to recognize that there's consequences. Mm. Yeah. And so like there's this, but it was like to a certain extent, it's, it's not being in the embrace, but it's like having God in those moments like to where I didn't receive the Eucharist, it was like having God on my side. He was still there, mm. but we couldn't have the embrace until I had rectified, I had Absolutely. solved the problem. Absolutely. And so that's where that's there's, beautiful. I think everyone focuses on the beauty as we should of communion, mm-hmm. but there is also a beauty of God waiting for us and being ready when we're not in a state to receive. And I think that's a, such a word of hope too for those who maybe for, because of difficult marital situations or life circumstances or are unable to receive communion, those maybe who, who are unable because you know, of illness, um, who, who have to have that time of waiting too, that God can bless that too. And, and the Eucharist is, is, is worth it. We talk about the Eucharist as a source and the summit of our faith. So we've talked obviously about politicians and the church's response and the need for maybe stronger and more clear responses on behalf of the church. Uh, but through it all, I think we keep coming back to that reality that, that the Eucharist is Jesus, is the source and summit of our faith. That, that the Lord wants us all to be converted and transformed so we, we can receive him. So uh, on, on that note of hope, I thank you guys so much for joining us here on Catholic in America. Thank you for your support, all of our supporters on, on Patreon, all those who like, share, and subscribe uh, to these videos. We couldn't do it without you, so have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.